It's Nick here, and you're listening to TFUV 101.9 FM, broadcasting from the traditional territories of the Songhees, Esquimalt, and Husanich people. Welcome to Season 9, Episode 5. This is our last episode, so we are very happy and we are very grateful to have a wonderful guest. Her name is Ovi Lee, and she was born from migrants of Hong Kong and raised on Turtle Island. She moved to the Lakwangan territories to complete her master's degree in social dimensions of health at the University of Victoria. Her project focuses on youth-led research with indigenous youth about sexuality and sexual wellness. She is also a nurse, a birth postpartum doula, and is always interested in radical healing work amongst racialized communities. Ovi is an experienced public health nurse, skilled in health education, promotion, sexual health, immunizations, and community health. We are very, very happy to have her here for this last episode of Season 9, and we are also happy to have you here. Thank you for listening Beyond the Jargon. Season 9, Episode 5. Enjoy the podcast. Let's start. Hello, Olvi. How are you? Hi, Mati. I'm doing good. Thanks for inviting me here. I'm so happy that we finally made it. We have been talking about having you here at the program for this special episode at the Beyond the Jargon Season 9. And well, here we are. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Yay. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, me too. And so I'm wondering if you would like to self-introduce for people who is listening. Matty, you and I have been friends for so long, but sure, I can, I can introduce myself. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, let's let's do it. I really uh, would like people to get to know you the way I know you because I feel so lucky to be your friend, and I know people will be impressed of uh, for the work that you're doing. But also, I want everybody to know that Ovi is a great and an amazing human being. And she's my friend. <laughs> Thank you. So I always like to introduce myself with kind of a personal acknowledgement of why I'm here on this land and why I exist. I mean, I don't know why I exist, but I can at least give you a reason for why I chose to be here. Um So I am a migrant, um, a non-Indigenous woman of color. I'm a non-colonist settler, but I do like to acknowledge that my descendants and I benefit from the colonization of Turtle Island in these lands, and we continue to do so until this land is given back Indigenous sovereignty. Um, my family comes from Hong Kong, and so we are kind of in a, especially in these times, a land in between. We don't really feel like we belong to China or any other land. And so my family, especially, we strongly identify with our Hong Kong identity. Um, but it led to us being here on Turtle Island in Canada because of us trying to find a safer place for ourselves. Um, I, f I wear a few different hats in the community. I am a community and a public health nurse. I also do harm reduction and substance use work with community members here in Lekwungen Territories in Victoria, BC. I also work as a birth and postpartum doula, and 
I'm an auntie, I'm a cousin, I'm a sister, and I believe everything that I do academically. I'm also a grad student, and in my life as a nurse, um, that I do it because I'm compelled to action and bound by my accountability to the relationships that I've built within Indigenous communities and within the communities that I've built um, around me wherever I go. So that is what brings me here today and here to Victoria and to UVic and to all the jobs that I do. Amazing. And I want to say that um, we, at grad, grad school, we like to practice land acknowledgement and the self-location. Mm-hmm. And so you did it beautifully. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Ovi. Um, what program are you in and what's your research about it? Yeah, so I didn't actually talk too much about that, but I I am a grad student here at University of Victoria, and I'm in the Social Dimensions of Health program, which is part of the Public Health and Social Policy Department. And I'm writing a thesis, which I kind of regret now looking back, um, because theses take a really long time. But I think at the time, and I still am till this day, really sure about what I wanted to do and the project that I wanted to work on. So my thesis in short is um, it's youth-led research, indigenous youth-led research in sexual health and sexuality. And I I know you have a background in sexual education and you have been working in indigenous communities or where that inspiration comes from, yeah. Yeah, I started my nursing work um, all the way in Ontario in Northern Ontario. And I moved there when I was 18 from Toronto where my family settled. And I kind of never went back to the big city. I just moved to the North and went to a university called Laurentian University. And I started nursing school there. And after, well, while I was in school, I moved to a community on Manitoulin Island, which is the world's largest freshwater island only people who are from there know that. But it is an, the largest island you'll find within the Great Lakes. And so if you look on the map of Canada, of Turtle Island, you'll see there's these giant lakes. There's five of them. And within one of the lakes in Lake Huron is an island called Manitoulin Island. And Manitoulin, the word Manitoulin means the Great Spirit. So Manitoulin Island is like the Great Spirit Island. Minido Minising is how you would say it in And so I moved there in my last year of nursing school when I did my final nursing placement. And I moved to one of the indigenous Anishinaabe communities called Wikwemakong. And Wikwemakong became my home because I lived there. And then eventually the community hired me as the nurse right out of school. I wasn't even finished school yet, and then they hired me. Um, and so that was my first job, and I eventually just, it just became really knitted into the fabric of who I was. It was I was only 22 when I moved there, and I made lots of friends, people became my family, and... I didn't ever want to move away. I thought I was just going to live there and work there for the rest of my life. But that's what you think when you're only 22. Um, needless to say, Wikwimkung, which is how you would say it in Anishinaabemowin, um, 
became my family and became home. And after five years of working there and living there, I decided that I wanted to go back to school. And that was because the community felt like they needed a new school health program that would help children in First Nations school have access to physiotherapy, speech language therapy, um, and psychotherapy. And we wanted to bring all these programs within First Nations schools. And so it was a very groundbreaking project because it was funded by Jordan's principal. And Jordan's principal is a government court order for First Nations children to always get health care funded no matter which jurisdiction they're part of, whether they are federal or provincial, that they will always get the health care that they need wherever they are, regardless of which jurisdiction they resided in. Um, And so that project, um, it was a pilot project that, that I was leading, and I think that inspired me to ask bigger questions and deeper questions. And so I wanted to go back to school and especially working on a project that would help youth and and indigenous youth and children. Wow. So it sounds like a continuation of something that you started um, to feel and like identifying some needs or gaps in community. And I guess that is also my sense is that is your work guided by um, the genuine interest of improving the work, like the, the, the praxis mm-hmm. out there in community. And, and this is very important because sometimes in academia, there is that the risk of keeping things in the ivory tower. Mm-hmm. And so, but I'm, what I'm hearing is that your inspiration comes from real needs and real community um, situations. So I guess you were working with youth, right? That's that's what you were doing at the community. Mm-hmm. And it, it was related to educa- sexual education, right? Yes. And yeah. so you're, th- and, and I'm glad you mentioned also that questions are important. Mm-hmm. And you started to make deeper questions mm-hmm. because in research, that's what they tell us here. Like how important it is to come up with your research question. Mm-hmm. And then from there you start kind of shaping your work. Yeah, I'm wondering sure. what's your research question or if you have many, maybe more than one. Mm-hmm. And how is that guiding your, your research project? Yeah. And on w- what stage are you as well? Yeah. I went into the storytelling hole after you asked that last question. But um, before I tell you my thesis question, I, I forgot to mention that when I was in the community as a nurse, I taught sexual health at all the schools, and I was developing sexual health programming within the community. And because I was also a youth at the time, I was only about 22, and and I'm now 32, so I've, I've been connected to the community for close to 10 years now. And so at the time, as a youth teaching sexual health to other youth, I saw that there was a lot of questions and a lot of things that weren't being asked and also a lot of things that weren't being answered. And so I realized that youth were the ones that should be in the driver's seat when it comes to leading sexual health education and programming because a lot of the youth were being taught by adults and adults, quite frankly, weren't giving the right answers or giving the answers that we needed. 
um, a lot of adults were just afraid of talking about sex because we had so many, we had such a high rate of STIs in the community and a lot of young people having children, a lot of people having sex for sure. But a lot of adults were, I think from, I mean, let's be honest, from colonization, from residential schools, we were ashamed or being shamed and not we as in the indigenous communities were being shamed um and I also have my own personal shame when it comes to sex and sexuality um that I brought into it as well um but I think we all had a lot of sexual shame and in the end I realized that adults can't be the ones that decide what we learn and what we do not learn because adults are the ones that want us to not have sex they want to push abstinence because they're also full of shame about sex and they're full of fear and so they were making a lot of fear-based decisions when it came when it came to sexual health and what youth needed and so as a youth myself I realized that we need to be the ones that speak out when it comes to what we need to know and when I graduated, I mean, sorry, when I graduated, when I entered school, I haven't even gotten there yet. <laughs> it's, okay, when, it's, it's good to be optimistic. Yeah, optimism yeah. graduated. No, when I when I left the community to come here to Victoria for school, it was about five or six years later. I was in, I was about 27, 28. I wanted to start a project that would allow youth to be the leaders. And so my thesis question is, how do Indigenous youth, especially Anishinaabe youth from Wikwimkong, how do they discover sexuality within their own land and traditions, within their language and their traditional territory? Because our bodies and our sexuality and the land are interconnected. How impressed I am by the way you are bringing topics, not one or two, more than two that are pretty complex and then you are kind of intertwining them um, and that's very challenging and it's like big admiration mm. really and uh, like because it's um, also sensitive topics like working with indigenous communities working with youth working with sexuality and education like all of those themes or aspects are pretty complex by themselves. And then if you put them all together, it makes, um, but maybe for you, it makes sense and it's all integrated, right? I, I can see your face with some like confident, like, what are you talking, Maria? They're complex, but I understand them. And that's the good thing when you have expertise and practice about it. Mm -hmm. But for me, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> how you're like, and, and it's part of my, um, yeah, I'm showing here my genuine curiosity, but also, in general, I think people, as you mentioned it, adults, we tend to have that shame for sexuality, and then maybe we have ignorance and we don't have we don't know how to approach, and then we tend to think that youth they don't know what they are doing with their lives. So I, I echo those things. Uh, unfortunately, right? Mm -hmm. I can I can relate to that. Um, so how do you um, feel? that all of these make sense for you and, and then it's all intertwined and it makes sense for you because I can see it in your face, but I want the people who is listening also to get the same feeling that I'm getting here. Thank you, Matty, for, for saying all that. And uh, I just want to say like the, the project is youth led and, and designed by youth. And so 
the the name of it is called Wikwim Kong Youth Speak Up on Sexual Wellness, the Land and Our Bodies, because Indigenous people have taught me how the land and our bodies are interconnected, the, and and the land are the people, and so Anishinaabe Moan is a living language. Um, the language that was taught to me is it's it's full of adjectives and and it's full of life and every t- every word has like is made up of of life and um now just thinking about the importance of land and bodies mm-hmm. and the other day i was reading that our body is kind of like the first territory mm, and yeah and if we want to mm-hmm. talk about sovereignty we mm. need to get our first territory, which is our body. Yeah. And I was so impressed by mm. that um, phrase. Yeah. So it makes sense. Yeah. Our bodies are, that's where we first learn how to take care of other people too, I think is is by learning about ourselves and our bodies too. But a lot of us kind of forget that, forget to take care of our own bodies before taking care of other bodies. Um, and yeah. Obi, how do you, um, how do you, in terms of like what type of frameworks mm-hmm. or theories are you using to back up the argument of youth have the knowledge mm-hmm. and youth can bring this knowledge and guide other youth members in the community uh, because maybe others disagree, right? Mm-hmm. But but you um, did some research already for your maybe literature, literature review. Mm-hmm. And so h- how do you approach that? How do you address that? concern kind of yeah there's a indigenous youth researcher um eve tuck and she does a lot of um research with youth and indigenous youth and so the methodology that i'm using is um it's called youth participatory action research so it's kind of like par you know community-based research participatory action research but this one has a y in front of it y par and the idea is that youth are, if you think about, you're an artist, Mati, if you think about a box of colors, like paint colors, and I personally do watercolor painting. If you think about a box of watercolors, or even if you use acrylic paints, like in, on your palette, you have different colors. Um, youth are kind of like the water that you need to to give movement and life to to your colors and so in her research methodology she kind of uses watercolors as a way to to illustrate this and so water is what moves the pigment from the box to the brush and then to the page and indigenous people on turtle island also say water is life water is what sustains us and carries us um women are water protectors because women carry life within themselves and water within themselves and so water and youth water and watercolors um youth are the ones that really drive this project um and youth participation is is the life force that that also drives this methodology and what backs this up is that a lot of projects and in the past um have shown that youth participation actually um, increases health outcomes, also increases just participation 
um, an engagement in in any project uh, where youth are involved, and and so in this in this project, um, I have a youth steering committee, and they are youth that I have relationships with in the past. Um, and so I got them together. We talked about things that are happening in the community. And this happened during the pandemic. So we had Zoom calls and phone calls. And I talked to the youth about what they wanted to see changed in the community and and what their thoughts were. Um, and so together, we, we wrote a proposal together. Um, I presented this proposal to my thesis committee. And then they had to, and then I they had to pass it and then and then we had to present it to you know chief and council and different ethics committees oh we i want to also acknowledge that uh you have been doing that that that's challenging and maybe different from other grad students like because you have been making all those considerations and requests for the university but also for the First Nations community, right? So the council mm -hmm. that you are mentioning. Mm -hmm. So doing research with indigenous communities um, will have other considerations, right? And it, it requires more time, more work, and more approvals, more conversations. Mm -hmm. And then I cannot imagine a work with a indigenous community that is not participatory action research mm -hmm. maybe i'm wrong but yeah. i think that's that's the way to go and i'm very For glad sure. to, to hear yeah. it right i actually can't imagine an indigenous research project that isn't led by the indigenous community because otherwise Absolutely. we are just perpetuating colonization of Absolutely. what we've always done and i can't imagine i know i know it's been done i know it can be ethical But it's hard for me to picture a non-Indigenous person from outside the community perform research within a community without Indigenous people from that community leading it. Um, and even though I have lived within the community and I built relationships with the youth, this project is still not led by me. I'm, I have the funding for it. I'm kind of doing a lot of the, the background more academic or administrative work behind it but ultimately this work is not mine um, I'm not doing the data collection the youth are doing the data collection I'm not doing the data analysis the youth are doing the data analysis I may be providing training and facilitation and workshops for the youth to learn how to do data analysis but the youth are doing that and then even the knowledge translation part the youth are are doing that and so it's it's very much maybe part of my idea, part of my instigation, but it is fully the youth that are that are creating this and pushing this forward. Um, I didn't have my notes in front of me, but I wanted to tell you, Mati, that, that there is a lot of research being done with youth, and it's shown that youth can lead their communities in promoting sexual health. Um, this isn't the first project where it's, where it's first youth-led sexual health project. Um, And youth actually really desire change and self-determination and leadership. And because of their leaderships, it's led to pos positive health outcomes. Um, what is lacking, though, in research and why my research is important or why this research is important is that there is not enough research focused on youth strengths and their healthy sexualities. And there's not enough mentorship from communities. And so I, for I haven't mentioned that 
even though this is a youth-led project, um, elders are involved in this project. It's not just like, we don't want adults in this project. We just want youth and children. It's That's not it. We have um, elders that are involved in this project because Indigenous communities really value the relationship between elders and youth and how elders can have um, a positive impact. Elders are knowledge holders in the communities all um, oftentimes, and elders are the ones that that are able to share their wisdom and teachings with young ones. And so in this project, it will really focus on youth and elder and their relationship and the teachings that they can share with each other and learning together in that relationship. Um, and so I think that it's so important that we look at sexuality in a healthy way because a lot of times projects, like research looks at sexuality and youth and indigenous youth um, in a negative way as in I guess yeah. is that the approach that you're giving I think there is actually a name the strength based approach mm -hmm. yeah and I think we need more of that it sounds amazing and so what's the I, I'm always looking for what's the research question what are the holistic sexual health needs of indigenous youth in Wikwimkung, and what do Indigenous youth need to access sexual health resources and supports within their communities? Of course. And then the experts, mm -hmm. they are the experts. They know best what they need and how they need it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They need better mentorship, better, more trust from us, from the communities, and... They need more support. But you have the questions there because you're mm -hmm. going to go to find out. Mm -hmm. But you already have some preliminary mm -hmm. answers. And, and especially because you already had these two meetings mm -hmm. to have your proposal, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, these like even the questions are co-constructed with the youth. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for those who are listening, um, I think in this season nine of Beyond the Jargon, I was talking to Avi that there is... All the topics are very different, but there is a common theme around this high interest of doing community-based research or participatory action research, which I think is great because we need more of that. And it's it's um, I think it's also more ethical and it's, mm. it's a good shift in the academia. Yeah. If I can call it a shift, at least in the, or maybe my friends, <laughs> maybe that's a common thing that my friends are more interested in having these community conversations and community work maybe yeah. maybe <laughs> i'm just wondering now um yeah is there anything else of it that you would like to share regarding the kind of like the literature review that you did or any other theoretical frameworks that are helping you to shape the implementation of your um project with the community i think because I think the answers are already in the community and some of it needs to be kept sacred. Some of it just needs to be kept within the community. I think that the youth are strong and the youth know what they need. And I think I really wanted the youth to be heard and I really wanted the community to know what the youth are talking about because they, they talk to me about it but they may not talk to um, the doctor about it. And so I, I sometimes wonder, 
if academia is always the right approach, um, I think this theoretical framework is the best one for what what we need to do here, what the youth want to do. But I wonder if if it's worth it in the end, because maybe communities just if we can if we can help the government and or other people around them to trust and to believe and to have faith um, and have confidence that the communities can do their own work um, without outside interference and I think that is the best but yeah I I, I want to say thank you for being so honest and also showing some vulnerability as a grad student and not uh, sharing just the fancy and happy place of academia by saying what you are sharing now uh, you're you're showing a critical piece that is important and that is part of the maybe doubts that we mm -hmm. can have with the genuine interest of working with communities and then having this kind of question in ourselves mm -hmm. if this is the best approach yeah. so thank you thank you for bringing that up I can imagine other grad student having the same um, predicament mm -hmm. uh, or the same reflection. I'm wondering how you have been keeping the balance of yeah. uh, just keep keep going. Like we all know that grad school, it's great, but it also brings a lot of challenges. And like we usually come here with a very optimistic and perhaps even a naive way of being and then while we progress in our program uh, we start seeing other things and maybe become more critical but also um, having more questions of yeah how have you keeping that balance and also if you share that it's going to be like a good advice for other grad students mm -hmm. that maybe are going through the same kind of journey for sure so I think I definitely had different reasons coming into grad school three years ago than I do now and why I am continuing to stay in grad school. I think when I first entered grad school, I really wanted to demonstrate my accountability to the community. I really felt like the community had poured so much into me. They had really mentored me and nurtured me and the voices of the youth that I carried with me too. I felt like, I felt like they, I felt like I had a lot of privilege. So I think I do need to acknowledge like my privilege to leave the reserve while a lot of my friends and youth in the community couldn't leave the reserve. Um, and if they did leave the reserve, they would be on the streets in the, in the city. Um, they didn't have home outside of the reserve. They would just be on the streets if they ever went to the city. And so I guess I, I left the res thinking that I had a lot of privilege and I'm like, I had the chance to leave and other people don't. So why don't I take this opportunity while I can be outside of the res to, to create change and to bring awareness to issues that are going on and to bring back something, bring back something to the community that um, as as something as like something to show what I've learned and and as like a gift of appreciation or something like that um 
And I think now why I'm still in school, because after a few years and realizing that maybe this wasn't the best way to do it, is, is because one thing that hasn't changed is because the youth are still interested in this project and they still want to continue on with it. And, but I think I personally have gotten everything that I needed out of grad school. I learned a lot about politics and my positionality. I learned a lot about what academia means and, and I became an activist. And I just think that why I'm still here today, still at UVic doing grad studies is because the youth and also because I really want the youth to have an opportunity to enter academia if they wanted to. And so a result of this project is that the youth have the chance to be published um, and elders or whoever in the community wants to be involved, they have the chance to be published. And once you have a paper published, then it really helps you in your resume and your academia. And, and some of the youth in this community that I'm working with that I lived in that I'm part of, they do want to pursue further studies, and I think it will really help them. Um, and so that is why I'm still here. And like, do I really care about getting a master's degree at this point? I, I, I don't really care about getting a master's degree. <laughs> I think there's, I there's enough work for me as a nurse, as a doula, as just a community person. To I, I have enough work. I don't really need a master's degree but I want to finish what I've started and the youth are are the people that are keeping me accountable that are pushing me through um and yeah yeah. I can see that you you have a commitment you started now you need to finish and then you are in service Mm -hmm. and that's that's beautiful and I can imagine we don't have time to really go into the journey of all the things that have maybe transformed you the way of mm. seeing academia and, and the world through the lens of academia mm-hmm. but we all like grad students listening these and community from UB can relate to that and we we hear you Avi mm-hmm. and we're grateful for your um, generosity of sharing knowledge today thank you so much mm-hmm. you have been sharing with us not only your topic of research, but also some insights as a grad student and a critical reflection of how we are really um, moving forward in terms of really serving the community. So that's something that I want everyone to keep in mind and just keep thinking, what is the real purpose? Mm. Why we are here? What are we going to contribute for a real social change Mm -hmm. and how we are building relationships with community and how they are part of this this ideal world that we are all trying to to work towards uh, in a different topic. Some people is doing substance use, harm reduction, Mm -hmm. uh, transgender topics, mental health, and you uh, sexual education. Are there any final reflections that you would like to say before we wrap up this interview? If you are in grad school or if you are thinking about grad studies, then, and if you are doing it just to get a master's degree, then do something else other than community-based research. Go do like a professional master's degree and do like a course-based 
maybe master's degree. You know, finish your courses and then you get a master's degree. A lot of people do it that way. It's quick and easy. But if you really care about communities and relationships, then doing a thesis is the best way to do it. But know that you will be held accountable by community and by your relationships with them. Um, and don't do it just to get a master's degree because it you will suffer and other people will suffer because of it. Um, and so, but push through and know that um, there are supports and know that you are not alone because grad studies can be a very lonely journey. Um, but make sure you reach out to other people who are in the same journey as you. Um, make sure you can continue to talk to community because plans change. We are in the post-pandemic or still we're in the pandemic world. And I think a lot of things are constantly changing. So be flexible. Don't be so hard on yourself. Be open to change. Be open to how things will change, how they begin and how they may end. And everything is impermanent. And um, if you want to talk about sex, I would love to talk about sex and sexuality. Um, don't be afraid of your sexuality. Don't be afraid to have sex. And if you are afraid to have sex, make sure you ask the right questions. Where people can reach out to you, how they can contact you. Yeah. Do you have Twitter account, Facebook or how? Yeah, just I have share all with us. the accounts. OK, you can uh, find me at on Instagram. It's at Olvi Tree. So it's kind of like olive, but the eyes before the E. So it's O-L-V-I-E-T-R-E-E, Olvi Tree. That's my Instagram. Or I have my doula Instagram, which is the rad doula, T-H-E-R-A-D-D-O-U-L-A, the rad doula. Um, and I'm on Facebook as Olvi Lee and Twitter as Olvi Lee as well. O-L-V-I-E-L-I for Lee. Perfect. Thank you so much, Ovi, um, and good luck in your studies. Thank you. Um, good luck um, in everything you do, and thank you so much. Muchas gracias. Um, <laughs> muchas gracias, Ovi. This podcast was produced by CFUV with financial support from the University of Victoria's Graduate Student Society and their members. CFUV is a non-profit radio station broadcasting from the University of Victoria campus on the traditional, unceded, and surrendered territories of the Saanich and Lekwungen peoples. Visit cfubpodcast.com or search for CFUV wherever you get your podcast for more homegrown, cutting-edge content. <laughs>